Chapter Ten of the Case of Miss Elliot by Baroness Orzy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Irisham Mystery, Chapter One. I have never had a great opinion of our detective force here in England," said the man in the corner in his funny, gentle, apologetic manner. But the way that department mismanaged the affair at Irisham simply passes comprehension. Indeed with all the quiet dignity i could command it is a pity they did not consult you in the matter isn't it it is a pity he retorted with aggravating meekness that they do not use a little common sense the case resembles that of columbus egg and is every bit as simple it was one evening last october wasn't it that two labourers walking home from irisham village turned down a lane which it appears is a short cut to the block of cottages some distance off where they lodged the night was very dark and there was a nasty drizzle in the air in the picturesque vernacular of the two labourers you couldn't see your and before your eyes suddenly they stumbled over a body of a man lying right across the path at first we thought he was drunk explained one of them subsequently but when we took a look at him we soon saw there was something very wrong me and my mate turned him over and foul play we both says it once then we see that it was old man newton poor chap he was dead and no mistake old man newton as he was universally called by his large circle of acquaintances was very well known throughout the entire neighbourhood most particularly at every inn and public bar for some miles round he also kept a local sweetstuff shop at irisham no wonder that the men were horrified at finding him in such a terrible condition even in their uneducated minds there could be no doubt that the old man had been murdered for his skull had been literally shattered by a fearful blow dealt him from behind by some powerful assailant whilst the labourers were cogitating as to what they had better do next they heard footsteps also turning into the lane and the next moment samuel holder a well-known inhabitant of irisham arrived upon the scene hello is that you matt newton shouted samuel as he came near ay tis old man newton all right replied one of the labourers but he won't answer you no more samuel holder seemed absolutely horrified when he saw the body of old man newton he uttered various ejaculations which the two labourers however did not take special notice of at the time then the three men held a brief consultation together with the result that one of them ran back to irisham village to fetch the local police whilst the two others remained in the lane to guard the body the mystery for it seemed one from the first created a great deal of sensation in irisham and all round the neighbourhood and much sympathy was felt for and shown to mary newton the murdered man's only child a young girl about two or three and twenty who moreover was in ill health true old man newton was not a satisfactory protector for a young girl he was very much addicted to drink he neglected the little bit of local business he had and moreover had recently shamefully ill-treated his daughter the neighbours testifying to the many and loud quarrels that occurred in the small back parlour behind the sweetstuff shop a case of murder the moment an element of mystery hovers around it immediately excites the attention of the newspaper reading public who is always seeking for new sensations very soon the history of old man newton and of his daughter found its way into the london and provincial dailies and the irisham murder became a topic of all-absorbing interest it appears that old man newton was at one time a highly respectable local tradesman always in a very small way as there is not much business doing at irisham 
it is a poor and straggling village although its railway station is an important junction on the midland system there is some very good shooting in the neighborhood and about four or five years ago some of it together with the limes a pretty house just outside the village was rented for the autumn by mr ledbury and his brother you know the firm of ledbury and company do you not the great small arms manufacturers the elder mr ledbury was the recipient of birthday honors last year and is the present lord walterton his younger brother mervyn was in those days and is still a handsome young fellow in the hussars at the time i mean about five years ago mary newton was the local beauty of Irsham. she did a little dressmaking in her odd moments but it appears that she spent most of her time in flirting she was nominally engaged to be married to samuel holder a young carpenter but there was a good deal of scandal talked about her for she was thought to be very fast village gossip coupled her name with that of several young men in the neighborhood who were known to have paid the village beauty marked attention and among these admirers of mary newton during the autumn of which i am speaking young mr mervyn ledbury figured conspicuously be that as it may certain it is that mary newton had a very bad reputation among the scandal-mongers of Irsham, and though everybody was shocked no one was astonished when one fine day in the winter following she suddenly left her father and her home and went no one knew whither she left it appears a very pathetic letter behind begging for her father's forgiveness and that of samuel holder whom she was jilting but she was going to marry a gentleman above them all in station and was going to be a real lady then only would she return home a very usual village tragedy as you see four years went by and mary newton did not return home as time went by and with it no news of his daughter old man newton took her disappearance very much to heart he began to neglect his business and then his house which became dirty and ill-kept by an occasional charwoman who would do a bit of promiscuous tidying for him from time to time he was ill-tempered sullen and morose and very soon became hopelessly addicted to drink then suddenly as unexpectedly as she had gone mary newton returned to her home one fine day after an absence of four years what had become of her in the interim no one in the village ever knew she was generally supposed to have earned a living by dressmaking until her failing health had driven her well-nigh to starvation and then back to the home and her father she had so heedlessly left needless to say that all talk of her marriage with the gentleman above her in station was entirely at an end as for old man newton he seems after his daughter's return to have become more sullen and morose than ever and the neighbors now busied themselves with talk of the fearful rows which frequently occurred in the back parlor of the little sweet stuff shop father and daughter seemed to be leading a veritable cat-and-dog life together old man newton was hardly ever sober and at the village inns he threw out weird and strange hints about breach of promise actions with five thousand pound damages which his daughter should get if only he knew where to lay hands upon the scoundrel he also made vague and wholly useless inquiries about young mervyn ledbury but in a sleepy out-of-the-way village like Irsham, no one knows anything about what goes on beyond a narrow five-mile radius at most the limes and the shooting were let to different tenants year after year and neither lord walterton nor mr mervyn ledbury had ever rented them again chapter two that was the past history of old newton continued the man in the corner after a brief pause that is to say of the man who on a dark night last october was found murdered in a lonely lane 
not far from Irsham. The public, as you may well imagine, took a very keen interest in the case from the outset. The story of Mary Newton, of the threatened breach of promise, of the five thousand pound damages, roused masses of conjecture, to which no one as yet dared to give definite shape. One name, however, had already been whispered significantly, that of Mr. Mervyn Ledbury, the young hussar, one of Mary Newton's admirers at the very time she left home in order, as she said, to be married to someone above her in station. Many thinking people, too, wanted to know what Samuel Holder, Mary's jilted fiancé, was doing close to the scene of the murder that night, and how he came to make the remark, Hello, is that you, Matt Newton? When the old man lived nearly half a mile away, and really had no cause for being in that particular lane, at that hour of the night, in the drizzling rain. The inquest, which, for want of other accommodation, was held at the local police station, was, as you imagine, very largely attended. I had read a brief statement of the case in the London papers, and had hurried down to Irsham Junction, as I scented a mystery, and I knew I should enjoy myself. When I got there, the room was already packed, and the medical evidence was being gone through. Old Man Newton, it appears, had been knocked on the head by a heavily leaded cane, which was found in the ditch close to the murdered man's body. The cane was produced in court. It was as stout as an old-fashioned club, and of terrific weight. The man who wielded it must have been very powerful, for he had only dealt one blow, but that blow had cracked the old man's skull. The cane was undoubtedly a foreign make, for it had a solid silver ferrule at one end, which was not English hallmarked. In the opinion of the medical expert, death was the result of the blow, and must have been almost instantaneous. The laborers who first came across the body of the murdered man then repeated their story. They had nothing new to add, and their evidence was of no importance. But, after that, there was some stir in the court. Samuel Holder had been called and sworn to tell the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He was a youngish, heavily built man of about five and thirty, with a nervous, not altogether prepossessing expression of face. Pressed by the coroner, he gave us a few details of old man Newton's earlier history, such as I have already told you. Old Matt, he explained with some hesitation, was forever wanting to find out who the gentleman was who had promised marriage to Mary four years ago. But Mary was that obstinate and wouldn't tell him, and this exasperated the old man terribly so that they had many rows on the subject. "'I suppose,' said the coroner, tentatively, "'that you never knew who that gentleman was?' Samuel Holder seemed to hesitate for a moment. His manner became even more nervous than before. He shifted his position from one foot to the other. Finally, he said, "'I don't know as I ought to say, but I am quite sure that you must tell us everything you know which might throw light upon this extraordinary and terrible murder,' retorted the coroner sternly. "'Well,' replied Samuel Holder, whilst great beads of perspiration stood out upon his forehead. Mary would never give up the letter she had had from him, and she would not hear anything about a breach of promise case and five thousand pound damages. But old Matt, he often says to me, says he, it's young Mr. Ledbury, he says. She's told me that once. I got it out of her, and if I only knew where to find him. You're quite sure of this? asked the coroner, for Holder had paused and seemed quite horrified at the enormity of what he had said. "'Yes, yes, your worship, your honour,' stammered Holder. "'He's told me twas young Ledbury, time's out of count, and—' But Samuel Holder here completely broke down. He seemed unable to speak. His lips twitched convulsively, and the coroner, fearing that the man would faint, had him conveyed into the next room to recover himself, 
whilst another witness was brought forward. This was Michael Pitkin, landlord of the Fernhead Arms, at Irsham, who had been on very intimate terms with old Newton during the four years which elapsed after Mary's disappearance. He had a very curious story to tell, which aroused public excitement to its highest pitch. It appears that to him, also, the old man had often confided the fact that it was Mr. Ledbury who had promised to marry Mary, and then had shamefully left her stranded and moneyless in London. But, of course, added the jovial and pleasant-looking landlord of the Fernhead Arms, the likes of us down here didn't know what became of Mr. Ledbury after he left the limes, until one day I reads in the local paper that Sir John Fernhead's daughter is going to be married to Captain Mervyn Ledbury. Of course, your honour, and me, and all of us, no sir john our squire down at fernhead towers and i says to old matt it strikes me i says that you've got your man sure enough it was the same mr ledbury who rented the limes years ago who was engaged to the young lady up at the towers and last week there was grand doings there lords and ladies and lots of quality staying there and also the captain well asked the coroner eagerly whilst every one held their breath wondering what was to come well continued michael pickin old man newton went down to the towers one day he was determined to see young mr ledbury and went what happened i don't know for old matt wouldn't tell me but he came back mighty furious from his visit and swore he would ruin the young man and make no end of a scandal and he would bring the law agin him and get five thousand pound damages this story embellished of course by many details was the gist of what the worthy landlord of the fernhead arms had to say but you may imagine how everyone's excitement and curiosity was aroused. In the meanwhile, Samuel Holder was getting over his nervousness and was more ready to give a clear account of what happened on the fatal night itself. It was about nine o'clock, he explained in answer to the coroner, and I was hurrying back to Irsham through the fields. It was dark and raining, and I was about to strike across the hedge into the lane when I heard voices, a woman's, then a man's. Of course I could see nothing, and the man spoke in a whisper, but I had recognized Mary's voice quite plainly. She kept on saying, "'Tisn't my fault,' she says. "'It's father's. He has made up his mind. I held out as long as I could, but he worried me, and now he's got your letters, and it's too late.' Samuel Holder again paused a moment, then continued. They talked together for a long time. Mary seemed very upset, and the man very angry. Presently, he says to her, "'Well, tell your father to come out here and speak to me for a moment.' I'll see what I can do. Mary seemed to hesitate for a time. Then she went away, and the man waited there in the drizzling rain, with me on the other side of the edge, watching him. I waited for a long time, for I wanted to know what was going to happen. Then time went on. I thought perhaps that old Matt was at the Fernhead Arms, and that Mary couldn't find him. So I went back to Irsham by the fields, open to find the old man. The stranger didn't budge. He seemed inclined to wait. So I left him there. And, and, that's all. I went to the Fernhead Arms, saw old Matt wasn't there, then I went back to the lane, and old man Newton was dead, and the stranger was gone. There was a moment or two of dead silence in the court when Samuel Holder had given his evidence. Then the coroner asked quietly, You do not know who the stranger was? Well, I, I couldn't be sure, Your Honor, replied Samuel nervously. It was pitch dark. I wouldn't like to swear a fellow creature's life and character away. No, no, quite so rejoined the coroner. But do you happen to know what time it was when all this occurred? Oh, yes, your honor, said Samuel decisively. As I walked away from the Fernhead Arms, I heard Irsham church clock strike ten o'clock. Ah, 
That's always something, said the coroner with a sigh of satisfaction. Call Mary Newton, please. Chapter 3 You may imagine, continued the man in the corner after a slight pause, with what palpitating interest we all watched the pathetic little figure, clad in deep black, who now stepped forward to give evidence. It was difficult to imagine that Mary Newton could ever have been pretty. Trouble had obviously wrought havoc with her good looks. She was now a wizened little thing, with dark rings under her eyes, and a pale, anemic complexion. She stood perfectly listless before the coroner, waiting to be questioned, but otherwise not seeming to take the slightest interest in the proceedings. In an even, toneless voice, she told her name, age, and status, then waited for further questions. "'Your father went out a little before ten o'clock on Tuesday night last, did he not?' asked the coroner very kindly. "'Yes, sir, he did.' replied mary quietly you had brought him a message from a gentleman whom you had met in the lane and who wished to speak with your father no sir replied mary in the same even and toneless voice i brought no message to father and he went out on his own but the gentleman you met in the lane insisted the coroner with some impatience i didn't meet anyone in the lane sir i never went out of the house that tuesday night it rained so but the last witness samuel holder heard you talking in the lane at nine o'clock "'Samuel Holder was mistaken,' she replied imperturbably. "'I wasn't out of the house the whole of that night.' "'It would be useless for me,' continued the man in the corner, "'to attempt to convey to you the intense feeling of excitement "'which pervaded that crowded court, "'as that wizened little figure stood there for over half an hour, "'quietly and obstinately parrying the most rigid cross-examination. "'That she was lying, lying to shield the very man "'who perhaps had murdered her father, "'no one doubted for a single instant.' Yet there she stood, sullen, apathetic, and defiant, flatly denying Samuel Holder's story from end to end, strictly adhering and swearing to her first statement, that her father went out on his own, that she did not know where he was going to, and that she herself had never left the house that fatal Tuesday night. It did not seem to occur to her that by these statements she was hopelessly incriminating Samuel Holder, whom she was thus openly accusing of deliberate lies. On the contrary, many noticed a distinct touch of bitter animosity in the young girl against her former sweetheart, which was singularly emphasized when the coroner asked her whether she approved of the idea of a breach of promise action being brought against Mr. Ledbury. No, she said, all that talk about damages and breach of promise was between father and Sam Holder, because Sam had told father that he wouldn't mind marrying me if I had five thousand pounds of my own. It would be impossible to render the tone of hatred and contempt with which the young girl uttered these words. One seemed to live through the whole tragedy of the past few months. The girl, pestered by the greed of her father, yet refusing obstinately to aid in causing a scandal, perhaps disgrace, to the man whom she had once loved and trusted. As nothing more could be got out of her, and as circumstances now seemed to demand it, the coroner adjourned the inquest. The police, as you may well imagine, wanted to make certain inquiries. Mind you, Mary Newton flatly refused to mention Mr. Ledbury's name. She was questioned and cross-questioned, yet her answer uniformly was, I don't know what you're talking about. The person I was going to marry four years ago has gone out of my life. I have never seen him since. I saw no one on that Tuesday night. Against that, when she was asked to swear that it was not Mr., now Captain Ledbury, who had promised her marriage, she flatly refused to do so. Of course, there was not a soul there who had not made up his or her mind that Captain Ledbury had met Mary Newton in the lane, 
and had heard from her that all his love letters to her were now in her father's hands and that the old man meant to use these in order to extort money from him fearing the exposure and disgrace of so sensational a breach of promise action and not having the money with which to meet matt newton's preposterous demands he probably lost control over himself and in a moment of impulse and mad rage had silenced the old man for ever i assure you that at the adjourned inquest everybody expected to see captain ledbury in the custody of two constables the police in the interim had been extremely reticent and no fresh details of the extraordinary case had found its way into the papers but fresh details of a sensational character were fully expected and i can assure you the public were not disappointed it is no use my telling you all the proceedings of that second most memorable day i will try and confine myself to the most important points of this interesting mystery i must tell you that the story told by the landlord of the fernhead arms was fully corroborated by several witnesses all of whom testified to the fact that the old man came back from his visit to fernhead towers in a terrible fury swearing to bring disgrace upon the scoundrel who had ruined his daughter what occurred during that visit was explained by edward sanders the butler at the towers according to the testimony of this witness there was a large house-party staying with sir john fernhead to celebrate the engagement of his daughter the party naturally included captain mervyn ledbury his brother lord walterton and the latter's newly married young wife also many neighbors and friends at about six o'clock on monday evening it appears a disreputable-looking old man who edward sanders did not know but who gave the name of newton rang at the front door bell of the towers and demanded to see mr ledbury sanders naturally refused to admit him but the old man was so persistent and used such strange language that the butler after much hesitation decided to apprise captain ledbury of his extraordinary visitor captain ledbury on hearing that old man newton wished to speak to him much to sanders astonishment came downstairs and elected to interview his extraordinary visitor in the dining-room which was then deserted sanders showed the old man in and waited in the hall very soon however he heard loud and angry voices and the next moment captain ledbury threw open the dining-room door and said this man is mad or drunk show him out sanders and without another word the captain walked upstairs leaving sanders the pleasant task of showing the old man out that this was done very speedily and pretty roughly we may infer from old man newton's subsequent fury and the threats he uttered even while he was being shown out now you see do you not continued the man in the corner that this evidence seemed to add another link to the chain which was incriminating young mr ledbury in this terrible charge of murdering old man newton the young man himself was now with his regiment stationed at york it appears that the house party at fernhead towers was breaking up on the very day of old man newton's strange visit thither lord and lady walterton left for town on the tuesday morning and captain ledbury went up to york on that very same fatal night you must know that the small local station of fernhead is quite close to the towers captain ledbury took the late local train there for Irsham junction after dinner that night arriving at the latter place at nine fifteen with the intention of picking up the midland express to the north at ten fifteen p m later on the police had ascertained that captain ledbury had got out of the local train at Irsham junction at nine fifteen and aimlessly strolled out of the station against that it was definitely proved by several witnesses that the young man did catch the midland express at ten fifteen p m and travelled up north by it 
Now there was the hitch, do you see? added the funny creature excitedly. Samuel Holder overheard a conversation in the fatal lane between Mary Newton and the stranger, whom everybody by now believed to be Captain Ledbury. Good. That was between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m., and as it happened, the young man does seem to have unaccountably strolled about in the neighborhood whilst waiting for his train. But remember that when Sam Holder left the stranger waiting in the lane and went back towards Irsham in order to try and find Old Man Newton, he distinctly heard Irsham church clock striking ten. Now the lane where the murder occurred is two and a half miles from Irsham Junction Station. Therefore it could not have been Captain Ledbury who was there lying in wait for the old man, as he could not possibly have had his interview with old Matt, quarreled with him and murdered him, and then caught his train two and a half miles further on, all in the space of fifteen minutes. Thus, even before the final verdict of willful murder against some person or persons unknown, the case against Captain Mervyn Ledbury had completely fallen to the ground. He must also have succeeded in convincing Sir John Fernhead of his innocence, as I see by the papers that Miss Fernhead has since become Mrs. Ledbury. But the result has been that the Irishman tragedy has remained an impenetrable mystery. Who killed Old Man Newton, and why, is a question which many people, including our clever criminal investigation department, have asked themselves many a time. It was not a case of vulgar assault and robbery, as the old man was not worth robbing, and the few coppers he possessed were found intact in his waistcoat pocket. Many people assert that Samuel Holder quarreled with the old man and murdered him, but there are three reasons why that theory is bound to fall to the ground. Firstly, the total absence of any motive. Samuel Holder could have no possible object in killing the old man, but still we'll waive that. People do quarrel, especially if they are Confederates, as these two undoubtedly were, and quarrels do sometimes end fatally. Secondly, the weapon which caused the old man's death, a heavily leaded cane of foreign make, with solid silver ferrule. Now I ask you, where in the world could a village carpenter pick up an instrument of that sort? Moreover, no one ever saw such a thing in Sam Holder's hands or in his house. When he walked to the Fernhead Arms in order to try and find the old man, he had nothing of the sort in his hand. And in spite of the most strenuous efforts on the part of the police, the history of that cane was never traced. Then there is a third reason why obviously Sam Holder was not guilty of the murder, though that reason is a moral one. I am referring to Mary Newton's attitude at the inquest. She lied. Of that, there could be not a shadow of doubt. She was determined to shield her former lover, and incriminated Sam Holder only because she wished to save another man. Obviously, old Newton went out on that dark, wet night in order to meet someone in the lane. That someone could not have been Sam Holder, whom he met anywhere and everywhere, and every day in his own house. There, you see that Sam Holder was obviously innocent, that Captain Ledbury could not have committed the murder, that surely Mary Newton did not kill her own father, and that in such a case common sense should have come to the rescue, and not have left this case what it now is, a tragic and impenetrable mystery. Chapter 4 But, I said at last, for indeed I was deeply mystified, what does common sense argue? The case seems to me absolutely hopeless. He surveyed his beloved bit of string for a moment, and his mild blue eyes blinked at me, over his bone-rimmed spectacles. Common sense, he said at last, with his most apologetic manner, tells me that Irsham village is a remote little place, 
where a daily paper is unknown and where no one reads the fashionable intelligence or knows anything about birthday honors. What do you mean? I gasped in amazement. Simply this, that no one at Irisham Village, certainly not Mary Newton herself, had realized that one of the Mr. Ledburys, whom all had known at the Limes four years ago, had since become Lord Walterton. Lord Walterton, I ejaculated, wholly incredulous. Why, yes, he replied quietly. Do you mean to say you never thought of that? That it never occurred to you that Mary Newton may have admitted to her father that Mr. Ledbury had been the man who had so wickedly wronged her, but that she, in her remote little village, had also no idea that the Mr. Ledbury she meant was recently made and is now styled Lord Walterton? Old man Newton, who knew of the gossip which had coupled his daughter's name years ago with the younger Mr. Ledbury, naturally took it for granted that she was referring to him. Moreover, we may take it from the girl's subsequent attitude that she did all she could to shield the man whom she had once loved. Women, you know, have that sort of little way with them. Old Newton, fully convinced that young Ledbury was the man he wanted, went up to the towers and had a stormy interview, which no doubt greatly puzzled the young hussar. He undoubtedly spoke of it to his brother, Lord Walterton, who, newly married and of high social position, would necessarily dread a scandal as much as anybody. Lord Walterton went up to town with his young wife the following morning. Irisham is only forty minutes from London. He came down in the evening, met Mary in the lane, asked to see her father, and killed him in a moment of passion, when he found that the old man's demands were preposterously unreasonable. Moreover, Englishmen in all grades of society have an innate horror of being bullied or blackmailed. The murder probably was not premeditated, but the outcome of rage at being browbeaten by the old man. You see, the police did not use their common sense over so simple a matter. They naturally made no enquiries as to Lord Walterton's movements, who seemingly had absolutely nothing to do with the case. If they had, I feel convinced that they would have found that his lordship would have had some difficulty in satisfying everybody as to his whereabouts on that particular Tuesday night. Think of it. It is so simple. The only possible solution of that strange and unaccountable mystery. End of chapter 10. The Irisham Mystery.